Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is the Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat not required. Welcome to our first show of 2022. On this episode, let's talk about how we're going to be better people this year and our New Year's resolutions. And then we're going to look back at what 2021 had in store for us and how all that worked out. We'll finish up with our soon-to-be-famous Kickstarter Roundup. All of this on the first 2022 episode of The Dapper Meeple. It is a brand new year. New year, new us. Yeah, I wouldn't go too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you uh, what do you think about the time honored tradition of New Year's resolutions? You know, this time of year, that's that is the big thing, the new hotness, uh, the new year, new me fad that always goes around. Uh, what what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I kind of feel like I, I'm in the same boat with New Year's resolutions as I am with Valentine's Day, and that shit's completely made up. (laughs) Okay. That's some bullshit. Somebody started, and they found it as a marketing ploy, and somebody's ran with it. Um, I think the main people who uh, run with the New Year's resolutions are gyms and their memberships. (laughs) Right, and I would like for all of them to know right now, my fat ass is not coming anymore this year, and I sure (laughs) as hell ain't doing it in the first three months. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe March time frame, I'll get back over to the why. Uh, I think something along the lines, I was reading a statistic uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about how uh, the surge in gym membership that happens at the beginning of the year, um, I think it was something like 60% of those people like end up only going during like the first month or so, and then they don't go the rest of the year, but they still pay the membership. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure like January for like gyms and stuff is like Black Friday for every other retailer, (laughs) right? This is where they make their money right here, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, given your thoughts on New Year's resolutions, uh, are there any that you have? No, not really. Because like I said, I I feel like that throughout the year, um, I do a pretty good job of just kind of introspection taking the time to figure out how I want to do things and what I want to do, um, stuff like that. Now, that being said, we've documented it on this show. It's a well-known fact that both of us really can suck with follow through. Um, so I don't have any personal resolutions. Like you're getting the same asshole in 2022 that you got in 2021. (laughs) Like maybe I'll drink less Red Bull or something like that's, that's what we're going for. Um, but I mean, if you expect me to approach problems differently or to be more gentle with people that I don't agree with, it's probably not going to, that's not where we're going at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's less about resolutions as I like to think, like take this time to kind of, um, kind of look at like goals and stuff, stuff that I would like to see myself do this year. Not like ways I want to change myself or anything like that, because 
we've got time for that. Um, but things that I want to see, like, um, I don't know, maybe one of the things I want to see is stuff with our show. Like, I'd like to see more episodes because, I mean, we're on episode 12 now. It's been about half a year. Right. I would like to get, you know, at least 24 episodes next year. Maybe maybe a few more. Um, maybe closer to, like, 26. Just saying. Um, but stuff like that is what I like to think about, like, this time of year. Um, uh, obviously, they're... Uh, there's tons of media presence out there wanting to talk about all the ways that, you know, you can really just turn over a new leaf and change yourself. But it's, it's just another day. Right. right? I, I don't believe any of that stuff actually works. And like you said, look at the gym membership, how many people make a resolution. And it's something like, it's something like 80% of resolutions people don't stick with, whether it be, I'm going to be better at the gym or I'm going to be better at saving money or I'm going to drink less or, 80% of those just go right because I think it's yeah. the idea that they're like, oh, it's the New Year's. I have to make a resolution. It's like it becomes a check in the box. Right. You put a lot of pressure on yourself to change at this time of the year when, in fact, you probably should have changed whatever it was like eight months ago. Right. You know, you know, the third time I woke up somewhere and I didn't realize where I was, maybe I need to reevaluate my drinking. Yeah. Right. I, I think it's OK to go back. And, and, you know, the beginning of the year, it's our calendar year. I think it's a good time to reflect on some stuff and like, hmm, am I doing things the way that I want to this year? Um, like, especially talking about the show. Like, we definitely want to be on a more regular schedule this year. I think we have shaken out the bugs for the most part. Um, I think that we have kind of developed the format that we like, whether anybody else is going to like it or not. I guess we'll see this year. Um, but I feel like this is something that I want to move towards growing the audience this year a little bit, getting out there getting more involved with what's going on around us. And I don't think any of these are actual resolutions. It's just, Hey, we made it through one year. Um, maybe we can do, maybe we make it through another one. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of th things that kind of prompt this are, you know, we're coming out of the holiday season, which for a lot of people can be very stressful um, between dealing with family members that you probably don't agree with on multiple different levels to just the general, you know, stressful time that comes with, you know, gift buying and crowded public events and, you know, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. um, I can see that, like, why this kind of is a good kind of reevaluation point for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, this year we would like, um, one of the things I would like to see from our kind of little podcast here, um, I'd like to see more involvement with people. Um, one of my favorite things at PAX that we had was just getting to talk to people and explaining who we were, right. um, and giving them little pins and, you know, that kind of the lanyards and things like that. Like that was fun. I'd love to do more of that this year, uh, with people in our local community. Yeah. You know, we talked about wanting to have, um, definitely more guests on the show. Um, those were, um, some of our, or that was one of my favorite episodes when we had Leslie on as well. Um, and just having some other people that we know bringing them into this. Right. So. Right. That was uh, episode number seven, if you haven't listened to it. Um, I think that was one of uh, one of our best episodes that we got to do. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because when we're sitting here, like, we talk to each other, you know, throughout the week and we BS and stuff anyway, normally. And bringing somebody else in uh, just kind of adds another layer to that content. Yeah. So we're looking at kicking off 2022. There's a lot of stuff going on in the industry still. Like there is no lack of content here for us. And for, you know, people that are getting into this business, I think there's 
tons of opportunity out there. The, the amount of money that's being spent in the board game tabletop gaming arena is really higher than it has been decades previous to this because people are really getting into this as a hobby. They're getting into this to, you know, have friends over and sit around the table and play games, like bringing people together, whether they're playing online, whether they're playing face to face, you know, those options are all out there. Like, yeah, I, I think like 10, 15 years ago, um, there were there were a few articles published. I found this kind of doing some research into the year past and I stumbled upon this. There were a couple of articles talking about how tabletop gaming is dying, um, which is was 10, 15 years ago. Keep in mind um, and how a lot of developers were moving to video games instead. Um, and what's funny is um, we're seeing actually a lot of those same developers are coming back to tabletop gaming now. Um, because the industry is absolutely booming. I mean, just look at pictures or go to one of the bigger conventions, like the amount of not only participation that's going on with the people being there, but the amount of newer vendors, like new companies that are coming out with games that right. are coming onto the board. Um, I mean, we talked about it when we talked about our PAX show. Um, there were three or four different board game like manufacturers actually having booths at PAX. Um, which is, I, I don't remember seeing that in the year we went before. It may be something that's more popular than I know, but just to see that too, I mean, these people are planning on meeting people at this convention that they could get and make their board game for them. Right. Right. Like that, that seems like if I was doing a business plan for something like that, that's really not the best way I would plan it, but apparently it's working because there were like four of them there. Right. So just to see the amount of both actual growth and even potential growth in this realm is really awesome to see. Right. I mean, you can you can tell with the kind of weird, the year that Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro has had with Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, like the amount of money they've raked in this past year just from their products has been astounding. And I think that's kind of like a, a real litmus test to the direction that this is going. Yeah, absolutely. On top of that, I mean, you've got a lot of the board game companies and some that we saw out there were showing new games that were coming up on Kickstarter. Like, I know one that we're waiting for is going to be out in spring. It was Aldaria Reborn, which was the one that had all the massive right. uh, 3D printed sky, sky ships. Uh, looked really cool. We were talking about it. And he's like, yeah, we're going to be doing our Kickstarter in spring. Um, that's another big avenue that I think a lot of people have known about for a while, but it really seems to be the uh, opening salvo for anybody who's bringing a board game onto the market is Kickstarter is your first place to go look. Yeah, I think definitely for people who do not have the backing of like a larger publisher or something like that, it definitely opens up opportunities to them, which probably contributes to the amount of like new companies we're seeing, like throwing their hat in the ring. Yeah. Um, and I think if anything, this pandemic has shown us um, with the advent or not really advent, but the growth of like remote play in both role playing games as well as even tabletop games. Yeah. And now you've got things like tabletop arena, you've got tabletopia, um, you've got tabletop simulator, all of these where you can go and play these board games with somebody who can be, you know, thousands of miles away from you. Right. It doesn't matter. You guys can still play together as if you're at the same table. And I think that really opens up um, 
kind of this industry as well. Because we we joke about in D and D, but really it's the truth. The hardest part is getting everybody like their schedule synced up to be at the same table at the same time, um, and stuff like that. I think has really helped um, kind of capitalize this industry. Um, so before we jump in, because we do want to talk about some of the highlights and you know maybe lowlights <laughs> of twenty twenty one. Uh, one of the big announcements that came out this past week um, that we want to just kind of bring to the forefront. We'll talk about it more once it actually comes out. Um, so Marvel Zombicide um, has the official Kickstarter date has been announced. They released their official trailer along with a video with a couple of the developers talking about some of the mechanics and things like that. Right. So this is huge. Uh, any of you that have listened to us know that we um, we enjoy Zombicide. Um, Black Plague is the copy that I have, and it's probably one of my top five favorite games. It was one of the first big games I ever purchased um, as far as like dudes on a map, that kind of thing. Um, it's still one of my go to's to kind of bring people and show them kind of the cool stuff that this hobby can do. Right. Um, so this one is a very ambitious crossover. Um, it's all based off of the um, Marvel Zombies uh, comic book series that came out a while back, um, along with some updated lore that's happened since then. Um, the miniatures, of course, it, it's Simon, so the miniatures are beautiful. Mm -hmm. The board, the art, all of that looks great. Um, so I believe it was uh, Disney Plus too. Their What Ifs uh, animated series did zombies as well. Yeah, and it feels like there's a lot of that in the board game when I was watching the video for it. Yeah, I think they, um, especially I can see the artwork and stuff kind mm -hmm. of draw off of that, um, which is really nice. Um, again, a B and C Mon game. We know the minis are going to be awesome. The prototypes that they've already shown through the video and things like that. Looks spectacular. Right. Um, this is definitely one that I know I'm going to be backing. Um, so they put on the announcement that it's going to be coming out January the 18th is when the Kickstarter kicks off. Um, I imagine with these two IPs, which are both powerhouses in their own rights, um, I can see this Kickstarter reaching probably every stretch goal they throw on it. Right. And, you know, Simon loves their stretch goals. So I joked earlier when we were discussing this uh, that this is probably going to ship in like four or five boxes at least. So, <laughs> oh, my God, especially because there are there's a same day expansion involved in this. Right. Like, so, yeah, you get Marvel zombies and then you get the X-Men resistance. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, that's two boxes right there. Yeah. And then there's the giant um, Galactus. Galactus statue that it probably will have its own box. At so, least one box. That yeah. thing is massive. Like, there's a video we watched. When this first happened, we talked about this. When we first heard word of this. Yeah. And that was one of the first pieces that they showcased was the Galactus. Yeah, they sent it out to a bunch of content creators. They just sent the statue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's Galactus as a zombie. It was utterly terrifying just to look at. But, like, I mean, we're talking like... It was something like a foot and a half statue or something. It was, yeah. it was huge. Utterly huge. Which, I mean... Go for it, Simon. Like, yeah, yeah, we make minis. Big ass minis. <laughs> yeah, it was a Galactus miniature, all in quotes. <laughs> but yeah, no, so that's one thing we want. Um, as as it comes out and the Kickstarter actually kicks off, I'm sure we'll talk about it probably next episode. Um, will be when we actually get a chance to take a look at the Kickstarter, see what comes with it, all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, but th- that was definitely one of the big news drops this week before we recorded. So we wanted to kind of throw a little little tidbit in there. Um, if you guys have never played Zombicide, um, it is an awesome game. There are a bunch of different renditions of it now. Um, like I said, my favorite is the Black Plague version. Um, there is also a Green Horde, which is similar. It's kind of a fantasy themed version. Uh, there are also the traditional Zombicides. Uh, which are more like kind of modern era guns, think Walking Dead type. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the one that comes in the future, which I can't think of the name of right now. But it's all plays very similar. Uh, you are the heroes trying to accomplish whatever missions, avoid or kill the zombies, that sort of thing. But where Marvel Zombies turns it on its head is you actually get to play as the zombified Avengers. So that's one of the cool, exciting things that they're bringing to the table that kind of turns the whole um, the whole, I guess, series on its head. Um, So it's one of the cool things we want to take a look at as that gets closer. Right. Zombicide, the future one, I think, is Dark Side. It does. I I can't remember if that's if that's the one. Yeah. For some reason, it's not ringing a bell. Right. There's Black Plague. uh, There's Ghostbusters pack in the Kickstarter bundle. Their second edition, the Green Horde. Uh, basically, if you like zombies, uh, Zombicide has a flavor of way for you to go kill them. Uh, so definitely check it out. I know the second edition stuff is out now. So for whatever uh, friends and foes it's fan, there's just I really like this game. I think this might be one of the first games that you and I sat and played. Yeah, and it's just it's just such a good game. Um, oh yeah, so go look, find your flavor of killing zombie. Um, and just wait, because maybe you feel like the zombies got a bad rap. And you know what the zombies really need? Superheroes. Marvel's <laughs> got you, baby. I imagine most of us pretty happy to see 2021 like in the rear view mirror yeah i don't think it was as bad as 2020 but it definitely came with its blows and i think it's a good time that you know you take a look back and see what uh what you did you know maybe what you didn't do so much of so we're gonna kind of do a 2021 in review from you know the dapper meeple standpoint and maybe we'll talk a little bit about what we're looking forward to coming up here, hopefully sooner rather than later. Right. So 2021 was the first full year that I lived up here. Right. Virginia Beach, because we moved late 2020, um, got the house and all that good stuff. So that part was good. Uh, we enjoyed a lot of good things. 2021, there were some um, some really cool stuff that happened, even with the lockdowns and things like that. Sure. Um, dealing with COVID, which, of course, we're still dealing with the variant of the week. Yeah. So that that's going to probably be something we continue to deal with until it starts to kind of work its way out of the population. Uh, but the probably the most important date in 2021 was April 11th. Now, to many of you, you may not understand what april 11th was but let me just impart this this knowledge on you here april 11th was the dapper people's first episode right the first episode where we published uh we're going through Podbean as our host 
we had set everything up. And I mean, this in itself was a long road to get there. <laughs> um, we had talked about this for a while. I mean, this has been something that we love, like playing games and talking about it and back and forth. And a few years earlier, we'd been talking and it was like, you know what? We should just open our own store. And it was like, yeah, yeah, we should. And then that was it. Um, <laughs> that was December 2019 while we were at PAX Unplugged. Right. <laughs> um, so we had talked about it. It's like, well, you know, one of the things that drew me to doing a podcast is one of my personal heroes is Kevin Smith. And for a while, he stopped being a film director and was doing nothing but podcasts. And he has, Jesus, he's probably got 100 podcasts under the Smodcast uh, banner. And that's what he did. And he told people, he's like, if you have something you love, go do a podcast. There's nobody stopping you. And it's still the same way. There's no restrictions out here. If yeah. you want to get on the mic and record yourself and upload it to the world, there's nobody that's going to tell you no. It's like the wild, wild west. It's Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> with some things that we have planned for 2022, we're going to push that theory. <laughs> um, but yeah, but so, you know, we talked about, you know, let's do a podcast. That'll kind of get us, you know, focused and get us looking in the direction of what we want to do. We'll kind of clear what it is that we want and we'll get a chance to see a little bit more of this industry and maybe have a chance to talk to people who are involved in it. And so far, it's worked out well enough. I mean, yeah, no, I, I think this gives us a good or has given us a good opportunity to kind of take a more in-depth look outside of just we enjoy playing board games, you know, meeting people and talking to people and interacting with the community as a whole has been um, over overwhelmingly positive. I've enjoyed kind of getting perspectives from other people who kind of do similar things to what we do just on a different medium, specifically like working and talking to TikTok creators. Right. Like that's cool to see their, their take on it. I would love to talk to and work with some YouTube channels out there. Perhaps that's something we can work out here in 2022. Uh, talking to people who do live events, um, cosplayers, things like that. Right. That sort of thing. Just really coming together as a community and learning more about this community that we love and really becoming a bigger part of it is what our goal is and what we've even started to do. Right. Maybe looking at, you know, working with other podcasts as well. Looking at you, Board Game Famous. <laughs> the Battle of the Brothers will commence. If you guys have not found them, uh, they are um, uh, a couple of brothers who have started a podcast about board games that has the goal of getting them famous enough that people will send them free board game stuff and we completely support this 100 percent uh best of luck guys i know we're about on the same episode so i think they just released their episode 12 um go definitely find them and give them a listen um you can find them under board game famous on spotify or itunes um wherever you get your podcast from so let's talk about the other big news of 2021 uh, to us, and we've mentioned this a few times, that is the return of board game conventions. Uh, for so long, we were all stuck in our own individual houses, unable to play games with others around the table. Uh, then, we, of course, we had the uh, vaccines come out, um, and things started to look on the up and up. They, uh, a lot of conventions were still canceled last year, unfortunately, yes. especially ones that took place early in the year. Yeah. Earlier in the year, like I'm looking at the list at fancons.com and early in the year, like 90% of the conventions ended up getting canceled or went online only, which is probably uh, for the better. I mean, 
we don't want to intentionally have any super spreader events just because we want to play board games with each other. So that, you know, that's one of those things that just, it is what it is. Uh, but fortunately, by towards the end of the year, we were able to have a couple of big name conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest, of course, being Gen Con. Uh, it looked like the stats that we were looking at from this past year, uh, they still had 35,000 plus people show up, which is excellent. It's nowhere near the 60,000 plus cap that <laughs> is usually placed on Gen Con. Uh, but a lot of the people who went um, looking at kind of what they said, they were happy with kind of the return to it kind of reminded of the way Gen Con used to be right um, when it first moved to Indianapolis, a little smaller, a little more kind of slower pace. But, you know, that again, I'm glad they were just able to have it. Right. And Gen Con, too, had put in place some COVID restrictions to make sure to try to protect their attendees as best they could. Yes. Now, if I remember correctly, they were not, they did not require a vaccine. Um, They did require masks. Right. Masks had to be worn all the time. Uh, But they did not require the vaccine. And then when PAX, because that was one of the debates that happened when PAX Unplugged came out, because they said that they were going to require vaccines from all attendees. Yes. Um, So I I think with, um, I want to say with Gen Con, you... If you didn't, if you weren't fully vaccinated, you had to have a negative test, right, or proof of a negative test to show when you went in. So, still, of course, still dealing with COVID. It's again, it, who knows how long we're going to keep fighting, you know, this fight. But we'll, I mean, time will only tell. But I'm glad to see that we were able to get some sort of normalcy back, at right. least in in that regard. Right, um, and of course, I mean, everybody was still they. I think in 2020, a lot of conventions and game stores and the community started learning some new ideas like they had to reach out more and rely more on their online presence uh gen con even still has a gen con online part that you can log into if you're wanting to get information if you're wanting to watch panels if if, if stuff like that's part of what appeals to you about the convention you know they did show that hey that is a viable option which as we move forward and things kind of start to return to normal that is still something that they can do which is great for people that never could have made it. Right. I mean, prior to this, if you couldn't go to Gen Con, you were waiting for YouTube to put some stuff up. Yep. Or those random videos from people with media badges <laughs> that would be able to put them up. So that's, um, I, I think that's wonderful that it forced, it really forced people's hand to change the way they reach out to the community and interact with the community. Because uh, it has really opened up a lot of things to people uh, across the board. Uh, the one of the other big conventions, of course, is PAX, which we have gushed on and on about. Um, it's really our our favorite convention because it's the only one we've been to so far. Uh, so who knows? Maybe next year Gen Con will become our favorite convention. Right? We're <laughs> we're stepping this up. What a decide. So that's again. Oh, our experience at PAX was excellent. Uh, between the ease of entry to just the general everybody obeying the rules and that sort of thing and just the enforcement by actual PAX team right going around making sure everyone was wearing their masks you know passing out masks to those who needed them making sure that you had your your vaccine wristband before you went to any of the shows or anything like that again all around just just really good we had a great time it was great to meet the people we met um great to do the things that we did and all that sort of stuff so 
that was great to see that come back because we were really disappointed in 2020 when they canceled it. Right. But again, it more than likely it was for the better. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you anytime there's something like, I mean, COVID is something that is worldwide reshaped a lot of things. There's, there was no way that the industry was going to get away unscathed with that. Um, but the, the fact that we are making some, you know, making some efforts to come back, I think is huge. Um, it really, I, I think for me towards the end of 2020, 21 made it feel like this was a, you know, this was a good idea. We started a gaming podcast and the rest of the industry came back. Like it's not, <laughs> things aren't dying. Um, the industry is healthy. It is doing well. It is still open for people to come and check out. Um, I think that was one of the big signals for me towards the end of the year when they announced they were actually going to go through with it. Right. It's not like we started a restaurant right before all the restaurants got closed down or anything. You right. Because for, <laughs> for some of you people did out there. I don't know if any of them listened to us, but the balls, man. Well done. Like, Right. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you you were out on the other side, you know, virtually unscathed and thriving. So Right. That, that's what we hope anyway so let, let's continue with the the good things of 2021 um and let's let's talk about wizards of the coast uh there was a lot of stuff from wizards of the coast this year um obviously the powerhouse that they are uh one of my favorites was of course um hot drow summer i don't feel like that caught on as much as it should have i'm so pissed off that <laughs> the hot drow summer did not take off as a hashtag what are you guys doing out there <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe this next year we will be able to um, be better influencers. I, I maybe that's what our problem was. <laughs> that's that's what it is. I'm the sure. audience isn't big enough. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so one of the one of the big things that came out of Wizards this year uh, was some pretty ambitious crossovers. Yes. Uh, so we have seen um, their two IPs kind of come together: Dungeons and Dragons and Magic: The Gathering. Uh, we've seen them kind of mash a little bit uh, prior to last year. We had um, Mythic Odyssey, Odysseys of Theros, and we had the um, Ravnica book, which I Guildmasters guys Guildmaster. Ravnica. Um, so both of those are D and D books based off of um, Magic: The Gathering worlds. So that crossover had already been done, but we had the first crossover where we get Dungeons and Dragons taking a step into Magic the Gathering. Right, which I thought they did so well. Well enough, in fact, that it was my first time actually playing Magic the Gathering. So the set was called The Adventure Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, and in the set, they created a lot of um, both iconic monsters, iconic spells, uh, the type of um, just kind of feeling of D&D with a dice rolling mechanic that was not ever really seen in magic. Uh, you had famous people from both literature and just other kind of medium from Dungeons and Dragons being brought into the Magic the Gathering universe in a card version. Uh, there are so many cool things that they were able to do with this crossover. And honestly, it's been one of my favorite sets. Um, I was one who had played magic before. I uh, enjoyed it a lot. Um, played almost every week for years and years. Uh, but to be able to have this kind of crossover, something between two things I love was, was really great. The way they implemented it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And we actually went to the uh, pre-release. So if you've heard that episode, there's a couple of, uh, I think we have a clip in there of that we recorded while we were at the pre-release. 
and then we have just some our general thoughts on it uh but yeah all around i think it was really good yes i like i said i this was my first time playing and i really got drawn in because it was a crossover like i've been i've played D D since second edition um and i've read a lot of the books like being in the navy i was deployed in a way and stuff and that's where you know you have some free time you know being able to read um r.a salvatore is probably one of my favorite authors his dress uh, the Dark Elf series that he has written. I think it's up to like 33 books now. Um, really is something that I enjoyed. So when we saw this come out. Like, I mean, it's like this part spoke to me. And like you said, there are characters in there and spells and stuff that you read and you've played with if you've played the game. Um, the characters that they drew from literature were great. There was a couple of them that I didn't know and had to go look up and find out where they had come from. It just really, it was really some good fan service for the D&D side if you were coming over to play magic and I, I really like the set. I like the dice rolling mechanic. I like the dungeon mechanic that yep. was part of it that you could move through. I know several people were building decks specifically to do the dungeon side of it because of the bonuses that it gave you. Um, I got beat by a couple of those. Um, <laughs> we did go to a couple of openings. We did, uh, we did the one um, in Suffolk. Yep. Which was Willow Wisp games. And then we did the one at Atlantis, uh, which was a little bit, uh, closer to home uh, i think it's a little bit bigger of a store yeah uh, really just had a blast at both of them and for the most part uh, everybody that we met um were open and welcoming and willing to come sit and talk with us and it was pretty good um overall like that community part of it i really enjoyed i really enjoyed playing the game i think was, i had stayed out of magic uh, and there's a couple of ips that i have stayed out of mostly because They've been going on a long time, and I was not involved. Like, But I think with the pre-release, I really like it because nobody's bringing in cards from 20 years ago that just decimate the board. Um, everything was opened right there, and you played with what you got. I kind of like that setup. Right. It's uh, Magic can be intimidating, and I, I feel like Dungeons & Dragons can be the same way, uh, especially stepping into this world that you've never touched before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of lore. There's a lot of history on both sides. Um, so it was it was really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the crossover, which they've done another one since then. Not Magic Set, but D&D came out with another book um, the about the Strixhaven. Um, that's based off the Strixhaven world from Magic. Uh, it has a very much wizarding school, not to name another famous IP, um, kind of that feel to it. Uh, but again, I, I like that they are doing this kind of uh, collaboration between their different IPs. Right. Uh, I think it's, it's a very, it's a great untapped well that they really need to take advantage of because magic's history is deep and varied. And there are a lot of worlds and things like that, that have not ever really been tapped other than just a set of cards. Yeah. There's a lot of lore and things like that. that can be hashed out and uncovered that I really think, really fits in with what you are trying to do when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, definitely. Because both IPs have the idea of a, um, like a multi-dimensional universe, right? Yep. So, I mean, it just, it, they both just lend themselves so well to this crossover, you know, right. do you want to play the game and imagine your own character? Or are you more of a deck building, you know, yeah. planeswalker type? So, uh, really great for both of them. I have not gotten into the Strixhaven stuff yet. 
I, I played a, a pretty good bit of the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very... I, I haven't looked at a lot of the Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Uh, I know it just based on the, the different um, like schools that they have, because they're all represented in the magic set. But again, it just... I, I'm glad that they are tapping into that. Right. Um, I hope that they continue, because there are a lot of... There are a lot of really cool worlds out there that could use the kind of treatment but and really brought, I guess you could say, to the light of day and have people actually get in there and explore them and play them and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. And I mean, how many good there's so many good stories out there about people going to wizarding schools in other worlds. <laughs> uh, I mean, Patrick Rothfuss. Right. Know, right. In it with his books, uh, The Name of the Wind, The King Killer Chronicles, which supposedly we're getting the final book this year, I heard. I think was the rumor. I have not heard that, but I do hope so. But again, if Pat Rothfuss ever hears this, I want him to know that there is no pressure coming from me, that I am happy with what he has given us, and I will be happy with whatever he gives us whenever he gives it. Just so he knows. We go put that little disclaimer in there. Don't edit it out. Got it. I'll leave that in there. But I'm not sure. I'm, I'm on the fence, Pat. All right. I'm on the fence. Like, I loved what I read and I wanted more, and there was no more. It's like when you eat the last piece of pie, but you feel like there should be more pie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I will gladly go back and reread the first two novels and that kind of extra, like, 2.5 novel, uh, and then, you know, pick up the, the third book. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. so, <laughs> Fair enough. In case he ever does stumble across the dapper people. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure to put it in the uh, the show note announcement. So, yeah, in case know. Patrick Googles himself, like, oh yeah, and we have a message for Pat Rothfuss on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> maybe him and my new motherfucking best friend uh, Keith Baker. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could get together and listen. You right? Know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, keep uh, to carry on with the Wizards news. Um, there was a oh. big shift this year in reference to uh, the way. Uh, previous uh, editions and previous adventures and just kind of the fantasy realm as a whole approaches tropes in their, in their writing, in their uh, just whole view of things. This has been kind of, it wasn't exclusively to this year. I don't think it's been going on now, kind of a culture shift in the past, uh, probably three to five years, I would say. Yeah. Um, Which People who are less agreeing with it will describe it as woke culture. Uh, But in reality, I think what it comes down to is wanting to be inclusive and really be careful about the language that you use um, and the way that you describe things and the way you um, really show off these different races, whether they be fantasy or not. Right. Uh, Wizards of the Coast kind of took the lead to do this and I, and I think I'll be the first like objectively standing back looking at it saying that they didn't they didn't exactly get it perfect they didn't exactly get it right in some instances um, I know like there was one author who uh, was writing for the candlekeep mysteries that talked about wanting their name removed because once they turned in their stuff wizards had changed it so much and it wasn't what they had wanted and the parts that they had problems with was how the adversarial NPCs, which I think were bullywugs, were portrayed. You know, they kind of have this tribal portrayal. And when the author wrote them, they wrote them very much more with a deep background where they become 
you know, sentient individuals and not just, you know, the tribe of savages. Um, but Wizards of the Coast did make an effort. I believe they are still making an effort because for a long time, there have been a lot of people that have come and sat at this table and gone, all right, this is cool, but I feel like a lot of people in this game deal with the same garbage that I deal with that I shouldn't have to, and maybe we could fix that. And for a long time, people were like, shut up, this is our game. Um, and even still, there are some people that that echo is still out there. Um, and Wizards of the Coast said, you know what? All right, let's see what we can do. So they took a swing at it. Um, I think with a lot of these fantasy IPs, there's going to be some inherent issues with them forever. Like we could talk Tolkien and how, what kind of a beating his work has taken, you know, afterwards. And it comes from a place years ago. Um, I don't know what the real answer is. Like, do we, do we start over from scratch somewhere? Cause we've almost tried that. I mean, the Eberron setting in itself seems like it was one that was written, especially for people to understand every day, What's your everyday life is like? How much different should the person's everyday life be in a fantasy setting? Because there's the problems that they deal with. There's the diversity of who people are, you know, at their core. There's people that have disabilities that are going to exist just in the realm, you know, of a society. So, um, yeah, Wizards of the Coast took a swing and making sure all those people were represented. And they weren't represented by tropes. Right. You know. They were represented by what they, you know, the way people truly feel about their situation and about how they fit into society. Right. And I, I do think, I think Eberron does it really well. I think the way they take a look at their different races and things like that, I, I think it does really well in giving them individuality and in giving them choices where they are not like automatically evil right. and, and things along those lines, which have been some of the the concerns levied around traditional fantasy, both literature, gaming, that sort of thing. Uh, I do think it's good that Wizards took a shot at it. I, I will say I don't think it's a good idea to just toss out like everything that has been done. Right. Um, because it's not perfect. Uh, I think one thing that looking back on, especially like Tolkien, we see that, yes, his writing is a product of his generation, um, but times have changed. So how can we take that and how can we be different now? Right, right. Uh, it, it very much a baby with the bathwater situation. Like there are things that, yes, we should not really do it that way anymore. <laughs> but there in there are things still, even in those um those works that may not be that may not be what we want them to be today. There are still good things in them. Right. Um, and I think it's important to identify that no matter what you're looking at. Sure. And I think they approach it really well from the lore side of it in the novels. <clears throat> Salvatore did started his new trilogy of novels in which we expand on what we knew about drow in the forgotten realms. Like, Forever, drow have been wholly evil creatures because of that's how they were born. Except for that one guy who got out and he was the exception to the rule. Now we look at it with the new information. Like all the drow and Menzo Branson are still going to deal with the problems that they have. And I think his last trilogy as well kind of rewrote them that, you know, there's a lot of them that have turned away from Lolth and stuff. So. 
they're beginning to be like, oh, we actually have a choice. On top of that, there's a whole new set of drow that are pretty honorable. Like, yeah, if you haven't read the novel yet, it, um, it was fantastic. And the drow that you were introduced to are so much different from what we've known. But they're different, and you know the differences are explained. Is they've lived in a culture that's been isolated for a while, and it's so far away from ever knowing the rest of the drow. Um, it was great, though. But it's just like you said, we didn't throw out everything that we knew. We just expanded what we already knew. And honestly, in most, I think in most fantasy IPs, you've probably got room for that. Yeah, and I to the people who are like, ah, don't change my whatever. Um, uh, let's let's be honest here. You're going to tell the author who probably has one of, had one of the biggest hands in describing drow culture over the past how many years that he can't do what he wants with it. Like let's let's be honest, it's crazy. Right. But I it, he did it in such a way where he both kept what was good and what was like story worthy from like the past years, and then just did like expanded onto that. Right. And I, I think honestly, that's part of the problem with a lot of tropes is that it's a, if you think about it, it's a two line version of describing a character or race or whatever, when really that person could be described in pages. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. and when you actually begin to look at it in that regards, you're, you're not necessarily throwing out those two lines, but you're bringing so much more to the table than just that. I think a big difference for me is we were talking about earlier that like a lot of um, game creators had gone to making video games. And I'm a big fan. I play, you know, I've played a lot of RPGs and stuff. Um, it's not the same for me. It's like not as good. Like if I play an RPG, it still feels very two dimensional. Like even if they even if there's a good story in there, it's hard to pull on the hard strings for me from a video game where I have played plenty of tabletop games with a good DM that is putting all that information in there that is making three-dimensional NPCs where you feel bad. Like, it's like, wow, (laughs) I can't let this goblin die. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Man, Boblin. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's what I think, and, you know, this to stop us from going down the rabbit hole too far, uh, I think it's something we want to talk about sooner rather than later is kind of the connection between tabletop gaming and mental health and that sort of thing. Um, but I think a lot of people have been doing that for a long time is taking this kind of base work of whatever it is for these characters and things like that they want to play with in their game and then expanding upon what it means for that cursing creature, things like that. And of course, there have always been those people that have just thrown whatever it was in there is this thing is bad. Kill this thing. And that is what it is. But I think with the explosion of this hobby and the amount of people who are coming to this for the first time and they're bringing their own experiences, they're bringing their own like knowledge and all of these things to this table and realizing that, yes, this is an open world game. Like, yes, you can do really whatever you want to with it it's really opening up these kind of questions that probably weren't really ever asked before. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I think in, in regards to looking at it, the grand scheme of things is only a good thing for the hobby. Right. 
there may be changes and things that may not be popular or like the most supported or maybe even questionable at some times. But I think getting this input from people who did not have the same background and the same experiences as the people who usually play, um, you know, see cis white male, I, I think is nothing but good for the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this game used to be a lot of tactical combat and it used to be a lot of, you know, just dungeon crawling. And with the explosion, we're telling more stories, mm-hmm. you know, which is my favorite part. Right. So we're look, you know, get rid of the tropes, make it a better story. TSR made a comeback. Um, <laughs> well, let's put that in. That's in air quotes for those that can't see it. Uh, TSR was the original company that created Dungeons and Dragons. That was under Gary Gygax. And towards the end of the year in 2021, uh, one of his sons, uh, Ernie Ernie Gygax, decided that TSR was going to make a comeback. And initially, we were like, all right, bring it back into the fold. Let's do this. Um, It did not take long. Matter of fact, we recorded an episode. We put the episode out and we were just kind of a quick, hey, TSR is trying to make a comeback. Thumbs up. Let's do this. And like the next day. He was on a podcast where he basically said, like, Wizards of the Coast thinks they're better than us because they're trying to get more people to play and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I just want to be a dude and smash things and not care about people's feelings. You can go listen to the whole two-hour interview if you want to, but that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so TSR tried to make a comeback, and they did it with that attitude of, this is supposed to be a boys game. And I think the vast majority of the community was like, uh, what? Like... No. Yeah, I, I think there was there was a couple of Twitter threads as well that just really, really cemented the facts for us that we were not supportive of that anymore. Right. So uh, I, I know it was very specifically um, there was a, a thread with a trans woman who was just trying to get them to answer basic questions about what their thoughts were on like trans people like where do they fall do they believe that like trans women are women and that's what she was asking them to say and there was obviously a refusal to acknowledge that point and i believe they just outright insulted her and it was like oh okay these are horrible human beings my bad yeah so uh again and if you have kept up with the news on this um they actually TSR actually crowdfunded an opportunity to sue Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and they uh, they were raising money because they wanted Wizards of the Coast to remove the disclaimer that they have on their legacy content uh, that basically says the views that are expressed in this content do not necessarily represent the views of Wizards of the Coast currently. right? Which is basically what we've been talking about, how Wizards has tried to Um, really kind of take over the mantle and step into this kind of new field of being careful with the way that things are presented and the language they use and things like that. So it's a really, because they want to still sell the old product because there is still good things in the old product, um, but they have put that disclaimer on them. So what TSR was doing was they were crowdfunding to sue wizards um, for that disclaimer and wanting them to remove it from their legacy product, which was originally designed by TSR way back in the day. Sure, yeah. Um, unfortunately for them, uh, when Wizards bought um, TSR out, they also bought the rights to all of their stuff, uh, including the logo, which the new TSR was currently using. 
Uh, so and to flip the tables on them, Wizards actually went on the offensive and has now filed a suit against them okay. for using that logo. But getting back to uh, really this the, the bad part of 2021, we realized that there are a lot of people engaged in our hobby who unfortunately do not like the direction that it's going of inclusion inclusion and really bringing everyone into the hobby. To me, for the most part, it doesn't matter what you think or believe or things like that, because I've sat around the table with people who I do not agree with. Um, I mean, ideology, um, politics, uh, even religion. Like I've sat around the table and played games with these people and enjoyed every single minute of it. Right. Because that's not what we were there for. We weren't there to discuss whatever it is. We were there to enjoy playing games with each other. And you may not always agree with the person sitting across the table from you. And that's okay. Like the problem comes when people sit there and go, well, I don't want to play with this person for this reason. And really that reason is just that person existing. Right. That is problematic. And as we have, we have stated countless times on countless episodes, um, our stance on so many different issues when it comes to this, but we have always believed, and I believe we'll continue to believe that there is a spot at the table for people who want to play. I think a, a big part of the whole TSR thing that I really enjoyed, one of the positives that came out of that was I definitely found out more about Luke Gygax. Yes. Uh, he is uh, another, like another son of Gary. Um, Luke was kind of impressive. Like when this whole thing started, um, he did come out on his Twitter and he's like, whoa, I want to be real clear here that the stuff that Ernie's doing has nothing to do with us. He runs the, uh, Gary con. Yep. Um, which is kind of a tribute to his father, um, for what he did leave. And I mean, just all around good guy. He's actually the executive officer of a sustainment brigade in the, uh, California national guard. Um, he's been involved with wizards of the coast, kind of working with them. There's a couple of videos you can find with him talking. And he was very much out there going, hey, that's the other guy, Gax. That's not me. Like, don't <laughs> get that twisted. Like, I'm with y'all. Like, I'm with you. But, I mean, everything I've read from him, like, uh, I think Gary Khan is definitely on my list of things to go, uh, cons to go visit. Yeah. And a lot of that came out of, you know, that. So, so I think we're moving forward, though. Um, and obviously, Wizards of the Coast is doing really well. I know that we've talked about the fifth edition has made lots of money like more money oh, yeah. than all the other four editions combined before that enough so that the lead at dungeons and dragons uh chris cox has been tapped to be the new ceo of hasbro for people that don't know hasbro owns wizards of the coast right. so obviously that division has done really well yes i i think that's um they've had an interim ceo since the old one passed away i think early this year mm-hmm. Um, so they've been kind of on the search for it. Uh, to me, again, I don't know the inner workings of Hasbro and I don't claim to. So this is, you know, just an off the wall kind of thing. But to me, if you have the guy who was the lead of one of your top divisions, like the move to make him CEO kind of points the finger at where you guys want to keep, you know, doing right. And I, it's one of those things. They are in the business of making money. 
Like that's that's why they're in business. So they want to keep their shareholders happy. They want to keep their board of trustees happy, and you know they want to keep their you know employees and their people buying things happy. Right. So I think you know putting him in a CEO position, I don't see like any major changes or anything happening, or you know major yep. upturns or anything like that because you can tell they've really put a focus into the Wizards of the Coast division over the past few years. So I again I I think it's business as usual and the direction they're going I like. Right. I think it's a good choice. I think they are obviously like you said they're making money hand over fist. So there's no point for them to really change. Yeah. Uh one thing I would like to see I think in the new year again I would like to see more more collaboration between their different IPs. Uh I think that's definitely something to yeah. um look forward to. And I would love to see there's been a real influx with bringing these what we know as professional actors into play D&D. Yes. And that has been excellent. I know there's like this D&D underground in Hollywood because, you know, people like the the people from Critical Role um, and Joe Manganiello, they all hint at it every now and then. They don't really ever like come out and talk about it a whole lot. come out. Yeah, but um, I mean, Joe likes to brag at all the people who come to his basement to play D anD D. Oh my god, yeah! And there's pictures on the internet. If you want, you get bored, you know, Google Joe Maganella's D anD D basement. Yeah, like the fact that his wife just let him do that. Um, yeah, I, and there, I, I, some of the pictures they have like um, the big shows in there. The guys who produce Game of Thrones or the writers for Game of Thrones, yep. Yep. Uh, Vince Vaughn's in a couple of pictures down there. Uh, like those kind of thing that I know there's this like Hollywood Dungeons and Dragons underground thing going on. I would love to see wizards tap into that and bring more of that kind of to the forefront. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Cause they're, they're a bunch of really funny, like great actors who I know would be amazing to see at a table. And I think there's kind of starting that. I mean, there's a new uh, thing they're working on. It's on their YouTube channel that has brought some people forward to kind of play. Um, Jack Black has been involved. In, I saw it for D twenty, yeah, right. the, the game that Deborah and Wall ran. The other part of that that I would I want to see though is like her. I want to see these people who are amazing DMs actually get a chance to DM. Yeah, like to to be able to work with this talent. You know, yeah. Obviously, we have people in in there like I mean, like Matt Mercer, like Brandon Lee Mulligan. All of these and Abria Iyengar was, was one to say. come out this year. Like, I want to see more people have the opportunity to really express like their ideas and things like that, because there are so many good DMs out there that I feel like will never get seen just because. Right. Right. Um, and that's that's what I'm excited for this year to see who the next like breakout dm is yeah the one that you know either comes from a youtube show or wherever they come from and just watch what they're able to do yeah because it's it's for me as someone who has dm'd and played it's a treat to see a good dm work yes oh absolutely especially because you know you know what it took to get to that point yeah right like you understand as having someone that's ran a game what kind of work they had to put into it or how quick they were to have that ready Right. Like there's a lot of thinking on your feet and a lot of improv that goes into it. And to see somebody that can do it well. I mean, it's just like you said, it's a treat to watch somebody else succeed at doing this. Right. When you get to the point where you can't tell if they had that whatever it was prepared 15 sessions ago or it came right off the top of their head. Like that's the moment when you're like, yeah, this person's good. Yeah. (laughs) 
they 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 know what they're doing so that's that's what i'm excited for some stuff like that in the coming year um i kind of to to wrap up we have a few more things from last year to talk about we have a board game cafe that opened in virginia beach this year um roll with it they seem to be doing really well yep I, I do hope to continue to see growth out of them. We do Kickstarter roundups almost every episode. I think yes. there's only a couple of them we didn't do. Um, we didn't get to back as many as we wanted to this past year. Uh, there are a bunch that we saw and just weren't able to kind of put our put our backing in for it. Uh, but some of the ones we did get to back, um, one of them we've actually already received. Um, but probably the biggest one, I think, was Marvel Dice Throne. Yes, uh, we got to back that and we actually saw the, uh, I don't know if it was quite a finished copy. I, I think it was pretty much done though. Right. It looked like it might've been, um, I don't think it was a prototype. It was definitely had a little bit more refinement. Right. Right. At PAX, they had it set out, uh, for people in the, in the booth, uh, the dice throne booth, uh, which is one of the games that we've all like from the very beginning, that's been a big game that we've enjoyed, um, to see it. Um, we backed it immediately. Um, and then got to see it at PAX. Yeah, they. I know they were talking about the box art and everything was final. Right. Um, I don't know if they had finished, if those tokens and everything were, but regardless, the box art was beautiful. I'm really excited for that. It's going to look great on a shelf, on a table, like right. wherever we want to put it. So that was one of the, probably the biggest one we backed. Right. Uh, the other one we haven't received yet uh, was Heroes of Barcadia. Which is kind of, it's kind of this small off the wall. Um, I, I neglect to call it a drinking game because that kind of has a certain you know connotation to it, right? But I mean, it's it is involved in the game. But, but all the pieces are waterproof, so <laughs> take that as you will. You know, your your character is represented by a pint glass, and you fill it up, and as it takes damage, you drink whatever is in the glass. Um, Really well done. Like, that's one of the big things that I really enjoyed about it. Um, I also found out as we're... Because we saw them at PAX. It was from right. Rollercrit. And we talked a little bit to them. Uh, it is coming out and the delivery is scheduled, I think, for later this year. I also realized that there are a lot of fantasy drinking games out there. Like, drunk, it was like Drunks and Dragons. There was like Drinking Daggers. There was like so many other games that were like... We all know we can we can play like oh yeah you know you can drink what you want to whatever they're designed to be like adult drinking games wrapped around the fantasy side yeah. of it so there's a lot of good ones in there though I like I really liked it um, but yeah we did back Heroes of Arcadia um, that's one I'm excited to finally get and sit down and play um, there were tons of stretch goals that we hit with it already yeah. so I believe we've got six characters coming. I think so. Uh, yeah. I I mean, I'm not saying that there's a, a large overlap in the Venn diagram of people who enjoy games and people who drink, but it's almost a circle. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really close. Yeah. It's so, really close. But yeah, there I did notice that at Vaxi. There were a ton of really fun looking drinking games. Um, so that is one we're excited to see. Hopefully that ships sooner rather than later. But obviously with the way the global supply chain is all, you know, messed up right now, um, who knows when we'll get it. But when we do, of course, we'll talk about it. We'll do a review on it. Yeah. And speaking of ones that we've already reviewed, Cultivate was yes. another one that we backed. Cultivate is one that I found looking through it. And I don't know what it was about it. It just kind of captured my imagination. You want um, to lead a cult. That might be part of it. <laughs> I think I would do well leading a cult. I feel like I'm pretty charismatic. I think that's important for a cult leader when you're like outlining what your strengths are to lead the cult. So yeah, so this game came out and basically what you do, you pick one of the um, 
several cult leaders that are involved, and it is a kind of tableau building game mm-hmm. where you were able to recruit followers, and based on how you recruited your followers or where you place them within your compound, determined you know your score at the end. It was just such a good game, and we've played it. Uh, we've played it like one on one with two people. Adding people to this game makes it far more interesting because there's a lot of gotcha cards in there where you can play, um, where you can steal followers, where you can redirect um, basically authorities to other cults. Uh, it's just it's so well done. I do know that they are as of right now completely sold out, and they're waiting for a restock to come at the beginning of the year. So congratulations to Pops of Baju Games for a successful Kickstarter and a successful step into the gaming industry with that game. They are a small family company. I want to say they're out of the Midwest. Um, and we've uh, corresponded a couple times just uh, just talking, um, and they just seem fantastic, and they're excited to have it out on there. But yeah, that was I think that was one of the best backings that we had this year that I was really excited about. Right. So there have been, of course, countless other Kickstarters that have come out countless other games that we did not get a chance to talk about or review or do anything like that um this year of course that's one thing i'm looking forward to playing more games yeah uh it's definitely something i want to do more of uh we talk about a lot um unfortunately life gets in the way and we don't get to play as many um but it's almost like a full-time job if we played games all the time i know right maybe one day and if we could do that totally would yeah so coming up on looking back 2021 is out of the way Coming up in 2022, is there one game that you're specifically excited about to see hit the table finally? <laughs> um, currently, the left half of my um, Calyx shelving unit is full of games that I've owned but have not been played. So I would love to whittle that down. Right. Uh, one game that I really want to get to the table and try, I have gotten a Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Pandemic is one of those games that the, from the first time I played it, which this was this was when I was first getting into board games in like the kind of middle of my college years. Pandemic was one of those games that I've probably played 60, maybe 70 times. Right. And I enjoyed it so much because of the challenge of trying to beat the game. Right. And when I saw season zero and how they kind of changed the change it just a little bit with where you're not really doing diseases. It's more like spies kind of thing. It's something I really want to, I really want to get to the table. I really want to try out. Um, I want to play through like that legacy style game. Got it. Um, I think the one that I saw that is coming to retailers this year um, that I really want, and hopefully it'll be later so that we can get through some of these that we need to play anyway is the vampire chapters game. The one that originally said was too big to ever be in retail. Uh, so they have decided that it is going to retail this year. So if we can get our hands on that one later in the year, uh, that's one I'm definitely looking forward to. All right. I hope that you guys had a great 2021. I hope that you have a better 2022. And again, thanks for listening. And hopefully at the end of the year, you guys will still be around uh, listening to the podcast and enjoying what we're putting out. Now I'm in the game. I was on the bench. On the bench. First I was renting. Now I'm collecting rent. Run it up. First it was the Beamer. Now I want the bench. Spending all the back. Like, here I go again. Outside Our first Kickstarter roundup of 2022. 
we try to kind of split it up and separate it between RPG and board game type stuff. Uh, we also have a really interesting card game that's coming out too. Um, a lot of really cool stuff for the first of the year. Yeah. Uh, so let's open it up with uh, Mage Forge, which is coming to us from the guys over at Nerdarchy. Right. So we had a chance to actually meet one of the Nerdarchy guys. Uh, Nerdarch is Ted. At PAX 2019, uh, we were wandering around. Um, he stopped us to ask where we got our giant green flame foam finger from. And I looked at him and I could not place him. I was like, man, this guy looks really familiar. And I was like, you're from Nerdarchy, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And like pulled out some patches and stuff. Right. I completely understand what he was doing after we did almost the exact same thing this year, wandering around, passing out our lanyards and things like that at PAX. So really cool guy. Uh, and I like a lot of their stuff on there they do a lot of D related content um it just kind of all, all sorts of different stuff on there but really good show to go take a look at on youtube um again that's nerdarchy but let's talk about their project on kickstarter so this is mage forge it is a deck of magic items for fifth edition uh, the box set that is the main kind of focus of this campaign is 250 tarot-sized cards that are each different magic items. Uh, one of the things they mentioned in here, they come from uh, kind of their community that's right. around Nerdarchy. A lot of the stuff that uh, they've come up with all goes into this set. Right. Uh, this looks awesome. As, as somebody who has DM'd, I would struggle sometimes with coming up with magic items to fit my players. Right. Cause you want to have like, if you're, if you're a campaign that you want to pass out magic items, you want to give the party magic items that somebody will make use of. Right. That's a big thing that you like. It has to be useful. Right. Without, destroying the game right nobody wants to give the magic item to the party that ends up in somebody's bag that is forgotten about forever right right you want them to be using these the things that they give them and usually you want them to be using them in creative and exciting ways um that hopefully don't break your game so uh looking at this um it's pretty straightforward uh 250 new magic items i like the tarot size cards um i'm a fan of like big cards that players can hold on to right, right? put them in their notebooks or whatever that kind of thing uh so that is really cool some of the items that they show um there is an armor of the inquisitor um let's see there is uh, a couple other different things on here the cloak of misdirection the glaive of wizardry <laughs> Like all these things that look really exciting and you get 250 of them. Right. So are there clockwork frogs? Yes, of course there are. <laughs> what game would not be made better by clockwork frogs? Um, so going over to the tier list uh, for $20, you get the initial pledge tier, which is a PDF version of all the cards. Sure. Okay. Um, for many people, that's great. If you play online exclusively, this is the tier you're going for. Absolutely. You don't need physical cards because what are you going to do with them? You can't pass them to your players through the screen. Right. The next up is the expert at $50, and that gets you the actual physical component of the deck of the cards. So with this one, uh, we were kind of talking earlier, $50 at first seems a little steep. Like just my initial reaction was like, shoot, $50. But then I'm like, you're getting 250 magic items, like brand new magic items. 
even if you hate half of them, right. that's still 125 magic items that you'll be able to use in your campaign. You know you need a magic item? You can just flip through this deck and find something that's going to work for your party and for your story. So one of the things to note, a lot of times with projects like this, the when they're in the Kickstarter mode, they don't have everything finished. Mm-hmm. One of the things they specifically talk about in the risks and challenges with this one that I like, all the magic items are created. Right. They're done. Yeah. The all what this Kickstarter is for is one, to see who is interested to be able to get them a copy, but to raise the funds to be able to get a professional editor and then also have a couple of artists come in and do the artwork for them. Right. Um, which to me that that's great. The bread and butter is done. They have all of their items. They're not gonna sit there trying to like pull their face off to find fifty new magic items to round out the two hundred and fifty. Right. Like they're good to go on that. So this looks like a great project. Um, this is probably one that I'll look at at backing. Uh, so currently, it has it has raised twenty three thousand seven hundred eighty one dollars of its twenty five thousand dollar goal. Um, it still has twenty five days to go. So I I don't see it not making goal. Um, but definitely, if it's one you're interested in, go take a look at it again. That is Mage Forge, um, and it's put out by the guys over at Nerdarchy. Also, if you are interested in the physical box as well as the PDF, the master tier for $60 gets you both of those. Ah. One thing that we noticed when we were looking around and doing kind of our uh, search for Kickstarters that we wanted to talk about is on Kickstarter, under the tabletop gaming section, there is a lot, and I mean a lot of people selling STL files for 3D printers. Right. So... uh a 3D printer is something we've had our eye on for a long time. We haven't got there yet, but I, I imagine 2022 is our year. In regards to that, we found one uh, mainly STL file um, Kickstarter that looks excellent. So this is the Magic Crate. It is a 3D printed modular GM box. Uh, what it is is basically a cube that you pull apart and it has all of these resources inside of it f- that you need as a GM. It has a GM screen. It has a dice vault. It has a health tracker. It has little dice towers that attach to the top of your GM screen. It has cases to hold minis and other things that you're going to need. It has a dice tray that if you flip it over is a, I think it's a seven by seven grid on the other side of it that you can use for like small kind of impromptu battles, um, all things like this. Uh, and their tiers, they do have a physical version you can order, uh, but is mainly to get your hands on the STL files right. for all of these things. So you can get them printed yourself. Looking at the... Um, the price points for $18, you get the core bundle STL file. So that is the GM screen, the dice tray slash combat grid, the HP tracker and the storage unit, which has little shells and stuff in it. Right? So that's 18 bucks. You get the files for that. Now, if you go to $26, you get the all in, which is the files for everything. Right. So you get everything that I just mentioned, Um, And then you get a wide version of the storage and a tall version of the storage. You get the little dice towers that fit on top of the screen. You get the dice boxes. uh, You get the initiative trackers. um, And you get any unlocked digital stretch goals that they come out with. Right. 
So remember, like this part of it is STLs only. So this is yep. the file for you to 3D print your own. Yep. Uh, and then the next thing they have is um, something that I don't see often. We see retailer tiers a lot. Right. Um, but this is the chance to actually print and sell these yourself. So it's a merchant license for one year um, and plus for all basically for all the digital content. Right. So that is $80, which if you are somebody who has like a 3D printing type business already going or maybe somebody who's looking to get into that, um, this seems like something, especially if we're going to be printing gaming type um, items. It uh, definitely seems like something interesting. I could see easily making that $80 back in a year. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it seems easy uh, because if we go to their next tier, they're actually selling the um, Dice Vault in a physical version that they will ship to you for $159. That's right. And that is the gold and bronze version. So they printed it. It's two colors. Uh, and that's the ones that they print in gold and bronze. But it's everything that you're going to get the STL files for. But they've printed them out and boxed it and sold it or sent it to you. Right. If you are somebody who is printing and um, already has a 3D printer and is considering like selling these kind of things, um, this one looks like a really cool kind of unique one. I haven't seen one that quite goes together like this. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I've seen dice vaults, dice boxes, towers, all that sort of stuff separately. But I like kind of the way that this brings it all together. The one thing that I would say with this, if you're going to do this, um, it costs you 80 bucks for that year. If you make two of these and you sell them, you've not only made your money back, but you've made your money back plus. Right, right. I really like that part about this Kickstarter is it's not just them. This is their thing that they've designed and come up with and built that file, but they do give you the opportunity to sell it. Like if we had a 3D printer and we were set, we had a store going, I would absolutely buy that and print a couple of these and have them in the store to sell. Like they're just, it, it's so well put together. Um, for especially for like a DM that travels, which apparently happens a lot. Um, if you have to go somewhere else to play and you need to bring your stuff with you, this is a great way to do it and keep track of everything you need. The inside of the DM screen is really nice. Um, it gives you a chance to, uh, you know, put what you want back there for information. So all of your charts and stuff that you want, just print them out and you can clip them on the back and it looks like it's really well done and neat. Um, so you can keep on top of things. Right, so currently the Kickstarter um, has reached its funding. Uh, it's made $15,000 um, of its $790 goal. I love that they did not have very high hopes for right? this. They were like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, they were planning on only selling STL files, and a lot of people decided they wanted it made for them. Yeah, right. Uh, so there are 230 backers right now. There's still 24 days to go on this, so who knows where this will end up at. But it's already funded, so no matter what, you're going to get whatever you pledge. Right. Um, and that's great because they did knock out a bunch of their stretch goals because of it. Uh, let's see. The dice tower, when they print them, uh, there's an emblem on the dice tower. Uh, let's see what else. There's more initiative trackers. So you get bonus initiative trackers uh, with your set. Uh, more drawers and designs. Uh, random dice set added to each magic rate. Uh, complete. Wow. New designs for each dice tray. So each dice tray you have has a different design on it. Um, they also unlock the new magic the new magic crate color. If you were looking to order one, like a whole one, you can now order it in the blue and silver. Um, oh my god, the hex uh, the hexcon combat grid was a uh, is a stretch goal. If you don't, if you're people that don't like to play with the square combat grid, you can get it done in hexagon now. Uh, and another new deluxe cover. So I mean, they really 
really unlocked a lot of their stretch goals down there, um, which makes it even better. Um, you know, everybody knows Kickstarter, the more people that get involved, the better it gets. So check out the magic rate. All right. So the final one we have today, it's a small card game. Uh, I say small, but it's I, it looks like it does take up a little bit of table space. Uh, this game is called This Didn't Happen. Uh, I'm a fan of time travel. In fact, one of my favorite games that we played is Time Stories. Uh, it's a game in which you're time travelers. You're going back to try and uncover a mystery and you keep replaying the events of this like one day over and over and, and keep each time progressing deeper and deeper into the story. Uh, this game is a card game based on time travel where you're trying to prevent the apocalypse by going back in time um, and changing and tweaking events of the past so that the apocalypse never occurs. In theory, it's great, right? How many time travel stories do we have about that? But we also know as a rule of time traveling that anything you change in the past can have monumental, terrible effects in the future. Most most shows and things like that all say, you know, when you go back in time, don't touch anything, don't step on anything. Right. Because you never know what effects are going to happen. So this game really explores that, um, which is really cool. Uh, one of the people who did a review on it, we were watching. Um, they describe the cascading effect when you change an event in the early timelines. The way it cascades all the way through to the end is absolutely hilarious. You never know exactly what is going to happen. Um, he said you can be um, one of those people who goes back in time and just starts changing things all like crazy. He said that's usually a quick way to lose. In fact, this game says it plays in 15 minutes to 60 minutes. And he said the 15 minutes is usually when you lose. Right. These, if yeah. you lose, is that it usually happens quickly. So a couple of the things that I do like about this game. Uh, first off, the way the cards um, kind of work with each other are very cool. It's two cards kind of placed on top of each other at an angle to form a V. Uh, and you slide the top card kind of up to be able to see what happens when you change that event. Um, one of the cool things I like too, is that your player cards are double sided. Um, one side is like your normal self and the other side is like a variant version. Each, each player and variant has its own unique player power, right? There's a, the, Asymmetrical, asymmetrical player powers. Yep. Yes. And one of the things that he said is really cool is if somebody changes an event in the past, like in the timeline and you're like ahead in the timeline, it will flip your character automatically to the variant. And so when it, you may have, so one of the things that happens, you may have a plan on your turn, how you're going to use your power to do something. And it immediately changes. You now have a new power, which gives you new options, but you can't do whatever it was you wanted to do. So it it looks really cool. I, I'm very interested in this. Um, it is not super expensive either, being just a card game. It seems like it's one of those that kind of, uh, not quite filler games, but maybe if you have, you know, a 30, 45 minute lunch break or something to play on, this seems like one of those games you could drop out and kind of play it real quick. Yeah, absolutely. They only have really one tier. Um uh, there you know there's it's it look, looks like it's divided by shipping restrictions um but they're both um about 33 dollars us um one of them has some restrictions on where they can ship to 
and one of them is worldwide delivery, um, and they may have some extra shipping costs associated with that. They're in Canada is what it looks like, so I'm going to assume that we could probably get away with the first one, um, shipping to the U.S., uh, but that's only, there's no, that's it. That's the only tiers. They did have some early bird stuff, and I don't believe they have any real stretch goals either. So, I mean, it's basically just them designing the game, and, you know, what you see is what you get. Um, which is a lot. I mean, it, it looks like a good game. looks very well thought out. You can change the difficulty depending on which catastrophe you're trying to avert. Um, apparently, there's, like, giant monsters or giant machines or it says the hungry, and then I can't see the rest of it, so... You know, Uh, so yeah, so depending on which uh, catastrophe you're trying to stop can determine how difficult the game is, Um, which is cool. I like a game that scales, especially as you're learning it. Um, Yeah, this one looks really interesting. I mean, this looks like it would be a lot of fun. Um, I'm always a big fan of the games where you have like asymmetrical powers. Um, So you're not playing like the same thing. Um, You get to choose a character and that choice makes a difference. Right. So this one currently is sitting at forty five hundred of its ten thousand dollars goal. So it does have a little ways to go, uh, but it does have twenty one days still left on the Kickstarter. So um, there's still plenty of time for it to get there. Uh, if this one seems interesting to you, if you're a fan of time travel, um, looking for something a little bit on the light side, like to medium, I'd probably say it looks like where it falls. Um, then have a look at this one, take a look, see what you think. Uh, it might be something that you're interested in backing. All right, and as we flip that final piece, we see that we have, in fact, captured the general, securing our victory. Hey, we want to thank you all for staying with us on our walk down memory lane. And we want to wish you all an amazing 2022 and are excited to see where we go from here with you. From the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.